Hi, I'm Valerie Steele, Director and Chief Curator of the Museum at FIT, the most fashionable museum in New York City. Welcome to our Fashion Culture podcast series, featuring lectures and conversations about fashion. If you like what you hear, please share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag FashionCulture. Marcel Proust greatly admired the value of time and imagination, two of the hallmarks of haute couture. The slowest form of fashion that there is today, a couture gown at the house of Chanel or Christian Dior can still take up to 800 hours to make. Couture, translating as high sewing, is a uniquely Parisian craft created by the very best seamstresses in the world using both incredibly expensive materials and time-consuming techniques. The founder of Haute Couture was an English man called Charles Frederick Worth. The Countess Grefuel wore his designs, and many are exhibited within this collection. Proust, a lover of detail, was no doubt fascinated by her impeccably made wardrobe, creating not on, created not only by masters, but by the highly skilled atelier workers, sometimes referred to as Le Petit Mam. In 2016, clothes are becoming increasingly detailed once more, as designers deliver maximalism, fairy tales, and overtly historical pieces as a way for consumers to perhaps escape from the times we live in. Think of it as a standing still of sorts, an ejection from the present moment. Within the winter 2016 couture collections, Fendi and Scaparelli gave us ornately crafted dresses with fairy tales literally painted across them. Fashion's increasing fixation with ostentatious style and theatricality arrives via the dystopian prism of the late 1960s, early, um, early 1970s. This era's peacock revolution and its fixation with 19th century vintage was an important component of the bohemian style. It, broke of a kind of, it spoke of a kind of um, doomed romance of sorts. Giving a whole new meaning to flower power, this was the era that saw William Morris's Liberty Prince grace Ziggy Stardust's jumpsuit. Whilst the Victorian Albert Museum's exhibition of Aubrey, Brid's, Aubrey, Aubrey Beardsley's um, erotic illustrations in 1966 inspired an entire generation to put nature, the female, and imagination back into the hearts and minds of a new generation of radicals. Alas, the ornate 19th century world of the Countess Grefuel and a bohemian's love for her favourite fabric, um, black velvet, as well as her dress's symbolic connection to nature, as well as you'll see here David Bowie's love for Japan and Orientalism, all re-emerging, it all arrives through the guise of not just beauty and craft, um, but rebellion and counterculture. The Countess Grefuel's Jupiter coat by Lomban is another far-out example of how early 20th century otherworldliness was also found in the trippy, mind-bending explorations of the LSD wardrobe. <laughs> now in the year 2016, we find ourselves in a kind of digital Dadaism. The event, um, the internet, has um, inspired a Tumblr mishmashing of styles and has created a kind of meme dressing where seemingly nonsensical decade combinations and period references are all jumbled up and worn at the same time. However, there is a sense to this apparent chaos. 
The 2016 runways are, as we said, a meld of 19th century attire, 1960s bohemian appropriation, and a punk-inflected 1970s collage style of dressing. This time played out digitally rather than within the low-cut, um, the lo-fi cut and paste days. Socially political, it has rendered a kind of aristopunk. The Belle Epoque wardrobe of the Countess Grefiel is an important component of this highbrow, lowbrow mashup. Her leg mutton sleeves are worn with fetishized um, black PVC, her evening gloves worn on a barefoot model. It's a challenge to encapture the Countess Grefiel's influence piece by piece simply because um, she lived at such a pivotal time in fashion history. Grefiel really had it all. Um, she wore the bustle, the 1920s flapper shapes, the long sinuous line of the 1930s, and she really was a poster girl for the explosion of Paul Poiret's exotic theatrical designs at the turn of the century. The revival in an interest in costume design poured innovation into the world of high fashion. The Countess Grefiel not only wore the clothes designed by Poiret, a designer hugely inspired by the costumes worn within the Ballet Russe, but with the Countess Grefiel being a patron of the Ballet Russe itself, she was also holistically responsible for the ballet's very existence and thus the huge overarching influence it has had on fashion throughout the last 100 years. Alas, any fashion that is now seen as globally inspired, romantic, athletic and liberating all came from her era. Ever since, fashion has pretty much been stuck on a cyclical repeat. Charles Frederick Worth not only changed the shape of the female form by the invention of the bustle, but the, but the Countess Grefiel was one of the most important women who wore it, amongst other shapes such as the train. The question has to be asked, where would the Japanese designers be today without their love for a Victorian sensibility, some black lace and a bustle? Yoshi Yamamoto's lookbook, here photographed and art directed by Nick Knight and Peter Saville, talks of the bustle's revolutionary architectural form, whilst the bustle is offered in denim at Miu Miu this season. With all the visual styles that the Countess Grefiel has delivered and played a part in, there is a baton carrier from 20th century fashion who has carried forth her style, a great. Whether it be um, Christian Dior's wasp waist, J um, Charles James's love for European aristocratic fashion, which he of course also shares with Ralph Lauren, or Prada's and Scaparelli's sometimes theatrical theatrical, sometimes feminist styles. Some key components from her wardrobe that are prevalent within fashion today and on sale on the streets of Fifth Avenue right at this very moment include the princess neckline. Having travelled through the last century, showing some shoulder has gone in and out of style. But the, count, the countess's this um, iconic portrait by Laszlo, as we've just seen, really shows her elegant neckline and um, the neckline is definitely here to stay, but it's definitely evolved in many ways in an effort to sort of stay timeless. Clothes really seem to be sort of almost slipping off the form at the moment. Um, this is um, Christian Dior Couture, winter 2016. 
So whether it's whether um, a shoulder distress or a princess neckline is worn traditionally, accompanied by black, or worn slouchy, graphic, or asymmetrical with just one shoulder showing, a modern ease arrives via a more sporty, spontaneous, undone look. Dolce & Gabbana, in the centre though, always ensures that the shoulder is made sexy and that it be made clear that Italy now very much owns this erogenous zone. <laughs> Whether it be the cartoonish, near-punkish vulgarity at Gucci and Chanel, Greffiel's leg and mutton sleeves, of course a hand-me-down from the Renaissance period, add a formality, a strength, and an historical 19th century note, um, not just on the runways here, but also at Calvin Klein this year, within Resort 2016, where there's some lovely um, voluminous um, sleeves. Really, um, it's fascinating to see such sort of kind of historicism melding with the world of sportswear on the street. The baton carrier here from 20th century, the leg and mutton sleeve, is of course Elsa Scaparelli. Then we come to the Countess Greffiel's cape, which was no ordinary cape. Not only gifted to her by Tsar Nicholas II, this ceremonial piece had a near ecclesiastical provenance. A family soon to be overturned by the Russian Revolution, Greffiel was overturning previous conventions herself, having this Romanov piece customized by Worth so she could wear it as a fashion item to a Sarah Bernhardt function. It was a true collaboration. Mark Jacobs's haberdashery heirloom style capes for autumn winter 2016 have an unpolished, oversized quality, whilst Dolce and Gabbana are making waves within the land of the Vatican by deconstructing uniforms of the sacred. It was in 1994 that John Galliano here turned a coat upside down and made it a postmodern sensation. Even though the term avant-garde was coined in 1825 within socialist terms, it wasn't until the 1920s that visual culture really started to map it, with Greffiel blurring the lines between consumer and producer, and with royal pieces no less. This was Decon Recon before Decon Recon was even invented. Many of the great designers of the late 20th, early 21st century Sorry, many of the late 20th century, early 21st century designers have engaged with a lyrical style of design where collections are narrative-based, loaded with metaphors and motifs, taking inspiration from literature, poetry, film, music and art. Visual storytellers such as John Galliano, Alexander McQueen, Tom Brown and Medem Kirchhoff use print, embroidery, silhouette and set design to deliver a milf wheel of symbolic design. The Countess Greffiel's black and white lily motif dress can be seen as an aesthetic influence on contemporary fashion, as seen here at Erdem. But there were, but there were, these were lilies taken from a poem, not just any old poem, a poem that of course she was also featured in no less. She was at once the poem, the lily, and the woman, 
Deleuze may talk about the symbolism within Proust's work, but Greffiol was a symbol in his books that lived on and off the bookshelf. A Proustian goddess, she not only inspired literature, but literally wore poems. She was a poem and the poems that she was featured in. Alessandra Michel, the fashion industry's current sweetheart and creative director of Italian design house Gucci, is at the forefront of an attempt in contemporary design to intertwine the worlds of books and the runway via the dress and the woman. For one of his debut collections recently, he recreated the Carte du Tendre, a, a French map of an imaginary land um, designed by Catherine de, de Rambouet and her literary circle in the French Salon of the 17th century. It appeared in the first part of Madeleine de Scudery's 1554-61 novel, Clienne. A piece of allegorical geography, the map represents the path towards love um, and the route that a suitor must take. Um, if he would like to secure the affections of um, the woman that he desires. Not only did the map appear on a dress within the collection, each piece within the collection was designed to represent the location within the map allegorically. Plotting your path through the collection, it was as if stepping through the map itself. Each piece in the collection represented the location on the map and a tactic by which to seduce a lover. This in-out binary style of dressing sees the woman or wearer become at once the map, the adventurer, and the desired. A pre-feminist notion, this map may have been invented before feminism, but when Michelle Obama wears it in 2016, it places her in the world on her own terms. The surrealist idea of a girl actually being a dress is illustrated by another example. In 2014, Kate Moss wore David Bowie's um, Kanzai Yamamoto 1970-1972 play suit, whilst collecting an award on his behalf at the Brit Awards, the costume called Woodland Creatures, but popularly known as the rabbit costume, um, was, um, was worn by Moss when she arrived on stage. She read the following note from David, cheers for this award, it means a lot. In Japanese myth, the rabbits from my, from my old costume that Kate's wearing live on the moon. Kate comes from Venus and I from Mars, so that's nice. <laughs> End quote. Here, Bowie had not only placed Kate Mars as belonging to the world of the motifs, motifs within his garment, he had he had asked that she wear it and represent him also. Hybridizing the girl with the dress, she was at once him and all things wondrous. Alas, if a woman wears a lily, she is a lily. If she wears a rose, she is a rose. If she wears pale pink, she is a petal. If she wears O'Neill, she is aquarelle goddess. Mark Jacobs may have the daisy, Chanel the camellia, but Christian Dior actually thought that women were flowers. His um, famous, infamous um, 1947 new look was actually based on the lily of the valley, um, the entire new look silhouette being based on the flower. But I'm more interested in this more sort of vampish image to the right, with these sort of lovely lilies um, of the valleys as well. And this idea that we start to see things becoming more interesting. Within contemporary couture, fashion's flowers leave the confines of simply being pretty. 
These Christian Dior dresses by John Galliano, which were created in 2010, were venomous and strong. The idea of a woman being the flower is here, yes, but she is the one doing the picking. Reminiscent of the chapter Within Search of Lost Time by Proust, entitled In the Shadow of Young Girls in Flower, it speaks of the intoxicating beauty of these feminine creatures. Fitting in with Grefiel's demeanour, though, she is never fragile and never fey. The flower could at last be formidable and intelligent. Trapped within a questionably challenging marriage, Grefiel was at once a Venus biting back with her beauty and demeanour. Her legacy can be seen in the work of Elsa Scaparelli, which directly addressed the female and the psyche and introduced this idea of women dressing purely for themselves. As Judith Thurman said in her essay entitled Twin Peaks within the Costume Institute's um, recent exhibition, um, Impossible Conversations, she says, whilst most designers presume to tell women what makes them desirable to others, Scaparelli and Prada are driven to keep asking what makes a woman desirable to herself. Besides Proust, who was inspired by Grefiel's appearance and dresses, the Countess was also engaging with another kind of literary aesthetic, which ultimately fed into her appearance. Just as the pre-Raphaelites were inspired by the likes of Tennyson, smart society women such as Grefiel wanted to then see themselves as being the paintings that these poets were inspiring. Um, Georgette Leblanc is a great example of this, a bohemian symbolist muse living in Brussels. She took this role very seriously, um, writing in one of her journals, I am like wood shavings, my hair quivers in curls around my head, and a trailing gown of gold velvet flower prolongs my person. My, my blue velvet gown shines as if I'm an Edward Byrne Jones painting. So there's, um, in Elizabeth Wilson's book, um, The Glamorous Outsider, she talks about how Grefiel was um, advised by her cousin um, um, to engage with the sort of, um, sort of, of course, symbolist style of dress. Um, both her and the Countess Grefiel had the pre-Raphaelite prerequisite of auburn hair, a fiery and near-mythical mane which looked dazzling with colour. For years, women have been aligned with a narrow set of archetypes, the virgin, the widow, the mother, the whore, the sinner. Hence, the scandal surrounding the notion that Marie Antoinette could, of course, um, could, for instance, be allowed to um, approach the guillotine dressed head to toe in white was, was nothing short of an utter cheat. For her to suggest that such a sinner could declare herself as being pure and go out dressing like that. But before Christianity lay paganism, and the purity belonged as much to the pureness of the driven snow as it did to the angelic. To be pure within paganism was not to be virginal, but to be bursting with life, fertility and desire. The pre-Raphaelites moved forward by inching ever closer to this, away from the confines of the starchy Victorian aesthetic. The Belle Epoque era was about beauty as a metaphor for life. Nature and the female were finally realigned. As Baudelaire said, 
as, I, as Valerie briefly quoted earlier on the day, what poet would dare, in depicting the pleasure caused by the appearance of a great beauty, separate the woman from her dress? He felt that the transitionary nature of fashion was the ultimate in modernity, and that it could not be separated from that which it worked with, the eternal, the woman. No, that's not the finish. Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, gosh, sorry. <laughs> so, Belle Epoque literally means beautiful age, and it ties into the pre-Raphaelite idea of the cult of beauty, yeah? So, the Countess, the Countess Greffiel's dress um, was often likened to a siren green, and it's still very much felt today that in fashion spreads, we still seem to sort of celebrate this kind of idea of the dangerous and the talented and the enigmatic by this combination of red hair and green. We also see this, obviously, in the iconic tea dress that we've heard so much about today. Um, and here we can kind of um, look at um, Giles's dress here, designed um, for this season again for couture, that it's very much coming through. Green is a great case study for looking at how women and a colour can pivot. It offers a world without, it offers a world within a colour. Arresting of the male gaze, green is a colour that entraps the eye, yet rebels against the confines of a woman falling prey to a man's advances. It is her who is the Venus, the flytrap, the seductress, the feminist. Aware of her own potential otherness, she others herself further, so she is no longer female, but insect, alien, potion, witch, or an intoxicating and utterly Parisian absinthe fairy. The insect motif combined with green is seen here on the catwalks of Gucci this season. Um, the surreal work of Scaparelli is echoed by the ladybird on the tie, and the eclecticism of the 1970s is um, further sort of uh, driven home again with a strong whiff of David Bowie. Just as Jean-Paul Gaultier had the conical bra, Thierry Mugler had his sci-fi voluptuousness, and Ray Kawakubo, the erotica of the female form, which moves freely and easily within the hidden confines of her roomy black and shrouded constructions. The worth reception gown that we just saw was very much the beginning of all of this. This idea of, as I said, this rejection of the male gaze, but yet at once pouncing on it. Years later, we see Alexander McQueen's spring-summer 2010 collection entitled Plato's Atlantis turn women into fishes, jellyfishes, um, sharks, lizards, and Atlantean goddesses. Myth has it that Atlanteans walked seven foot tall. So in an effort to sort of recreate this, McQueen looked to elevate his models and customers with these incredible shoes. They were worn by Lady Gaga, um, Daphne Guinness. I mean, we literally could have done an entire talk on the aristocrats that have obviously walked in the shoes, literally pun intended, um, of Grefuel, um, such as Lady Amanda Harlick and Daphne Guinness, etc. Um, but yeah, it, it's an absolute phenomenal collection. This collection was also in part a tribute to the 250-year anniversary of the origin of a species by Charles Darwin. This keys in with the effect that this life-changing text also had on Victorian society. Greffiel's iconic worth reception dress sees her speaking of the evolution of women itself. Similarly, Alexander McQueen believed that women should be enchanting, but strong and often feared. 
When we think of green, we think of some key designers that have really, really owned this extreme and uncom uncompromising um, proposition within Glamour. In particular, they are Jean-Paul Gaultier and John Galliano, previously creative director at Dior. Prada's, um, Prada's designs, meanwhile, within the season of spring-summer 2008, depicted a runway full of fairies and mysterious witchy Art Nouveau sort of types with illustrations. Um, yeah, so it always goes to the sort of place of sort of kind of, um, as I said, sort of um, otherness. In Richard Abaddon's 1997 campaign for Givenchy, where McQueen was head designer, the model is seen here striding through the surrealist cloud filled, disturbing, jaunty room, whilst men are left contorted in her wake or peering to get out. Remind you of anyone? <laughs> in search of. Um, So really, I believe that it is McQueen, above all the designers in, within contemporary fashion, that's really been able to sort of sum up this, this sort of um, the sublime in, in connection with the female. Within In Search of Lost Time, the narrator finally realizes that Madame Guermont, the character who is based on the Countess Greffiol does not turn out to be who he hoped. Her character did not live up to her looks. Surrealists not only thought that women were literally dresses, the movement went on to describe women as subconsciousness itself. Proust's subconsciousness simply projected onto an object, to, so to access something almost transcendent. Alexander McQueen's fixation with the sublime was a similar setup seen here in the Widows of Culloden um, collection in fall 2006. Like one of Proust's involuntary memories, she is immersed not only in our emotions, but she is our emotions. Then she is gone. This hologram, um, a film by Nick Knight, was shown at the show. It depicts the beauty not just of a woman, not just a dress, but the beauty of our own hearts and minds time and imagination indeed. Thank you.